Well, good morning, everyone. Lovely to see you all worshipping with us this morning, both in person and on Zoom. A warm welcome to Zoomies as well. My name's Liz, and I'm one of the pastors here. And it's so good to be um, together in this space. Kids, if any of you are listening to me, and I know most of you are gainfully employed at the back in atrium, but um, I wonder if you've ever thought about where you'd like to live when you grow up. And... Um, whether you want to live really nearby your parents or really, really far away from them might be one option. I don't know. You know, there are lots of things which you might want to consider as you grow up. Um, at the moment, we live really quite far away from our kids, and, but that is not certainly by my preference. Uh, and it's something which um, we've been talking about a bit recently. And my daughter-in-law was staying with us after Christmas, and I got chatting to her about where we would live when we go back to the UK. And I remembered how my mother, when I was growing up, now I grew up in, in Africa, in South Africa, and for traditional communities in Africa, quite often you would have something called a kraal. Now a kraal is like a big um, wall, and inside the kraal are individual houses or huts, and different members of the family would live in all the huts, but you'd all be together in this kraal. And my mother always said, gosh, I just want us all to live in a kraal when, we grow up, when you guys grow up. We all ended up living on different continents. Um, so, so the crawl didn't really work out for my mom. But I said to my daughter-in-law, you know, maybe, maybe we should go for a crawl. And then um, I thought about it a bit longer and uh, said, well, actually, maybe not. Um, can you imagine how we would quickly things would kind of deteriorate and we would all fall out? And uh, there'd be so, so many, you know, there'd be internecine warfare. It could be, it could be really, really difficult. And she kind of poked her finger at me and said, no. Um, and a kraal would be an opportunity for accountability, not for cancel culture. And I was like, whoa, OK. Um, and, um, but anyway, I got thinking about that. And I, I thought, gosh, accountability versus canceling people within my family. What a, what a challenge that might be, let alone the rest of the world out there. So that gave us something to talk about. Um, and we were still friends when she left, so yeah, we, met, we might, Hannah and I might be in a crawl. I'm not sure about the rest, but um, we all heard that lovely passage from 1 Corinthians 12, read a few minutes ago by Paul, where Paul gives this image of the body of Christ being even closer than a crawl. He talks about us being part of the same body. And if you've been around a church for a while, you've probably heard like dozens of sermons on this. So it's kind of a little nerve-wracking coming into talking about um, the body when you kind of go, oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard all that, I've heard all that. But I want you to just look at your hand for a minute and just think, what does it mean? You know, I don't think, sometimes I go, oh, I'm a hand or I'm a foot or I'm a, you know, intestine or something. But imagine if you were just a cell and you're surrounded by other cells. It's so, it's, it's so together, isn't it? It's, it? You know, you can't do much if you're a, if you're a cell. Um, about the cells near you, and you have to kind of be aware of them. I haven't got time as permission for this, but I'm going to just put him in, in it for a minute. So a couple of weeks ago, he had a little operation on, on, on his tummy, and he's had to be really careful over the last couple of weeks about how he moves and how he does things, which probably means he's used different muscles, because he can't use tummy muscles at the moment. So when he coughs, I watch him brace his shoulders, because you know he has to take the impact of a cough, or whatever it is. And so... There's always an impact, isn't there, on different parts of the body. So if one part of the body is a little bit damaged, then we know it has repercussion. 
Perhaps he'll have really strong shoulders as a result of this. I don't know, but um, yeah, he says he's going to. Yeah, good, because we're going to move hands. Want muscles. But, you know, it's like cancer. Cancer, the problem is when you've got cells, is that cells start to reject other cells. And that's not what we want. We're wanting to be a healthy body. And so I got to think about the ways that I deal with um, situations around me. Slights, disagreements, hurts, all the things that come towards one. And I was reminded, actually, of a friend of mine once who said, well, the way you deal with conflict is uh, you actually become a bit of a hedgehog. Uh, so you tend to roll up in a ball and put all your spikes out and just go into a corner. So I said, thanks. That's really, really kind and helpful um, and very, very true. So I've done a lot of, I've tried to do some work on my hedgehog um, capacity. And I hope that I'm getting a little less hedgehoggy. But there are times. And as I go on and talk now for a few minutes about how we deal with slights that happen to us or or ways that we deal with offense in our community and in our neighborhood and in our families and in our lives. I'm going to issue one of those kind of declarations that some movies make. I don't know, you know, when you get to an end of a movie and it says no animals were harmed in the making of this story, I want to assure you that anything I say in the next 10 minutes or so is not about you and me, okay? And it's not about any of you in particular unless I specifically reference you. Your stories are safe. And so perhaps you might hear echoes of your story, but this is my story in bits of it. So no incarnation relationships, I hope, were harmed in the making of this story. And to be honest, we all have stories of offense committed by ourselves or committed against us. Those are the ones I tend to spend most time on, to be honest. So as you think about offense that is, you've been encountered over the last 10 minutes, week, month, years, there are all sorts of things that could happen. Perhaps you have been wronged by a corporation or a law, something big out there. Perhaps you're the victim of cultural or social discrimination, of racism or sexism or prejudice against your people group, your ethnicity or your familial background. I moved in my teens from South Africa to the UK and therefore was branded as an apartheid supporter and encountered a lot of hostility when we first went to England. Um, people kind of went, oh, you're, from, you're white, you're from South Africa, you must be a horrible racist. And, and there were all sorts of things that got said to us as a result. And so, you know, sometimes people make blanket assumptions about people groups. Or perhaps you've had offense simply by being in the wrong place at the right, wrong time. And, the offense could be something like somebody driving into the back of you at a stoplight or something. Or maybe, as we hear on the news, as the courts revisit the events around January the 6th last year, you will recall your feelings from this time last year. The way you responded to the news, to conversations with friends, with people around you. Many things felt very tense. So much offense and hurt is caused by politics and opinions. And so maybe more generally, you're offended by other aspects of politics or racism or sexism or genderism or abortion or anti-abortion or COVID or masks or social distancing or empty shelves in Safeway or snow days that are really rain days. <laughs> but for most of us, the offenses that go sort of deepest into our hearts are the ones which have been caused by people we love 
by people in our family, by, or a colleague, or a beloved boss, or something which is really, really close. So I'm going to give you like a moment, and if you've got a pen to hand, or you could write this on your phone, or you could just, I don't know, scratch it on your hand, I want you to think about one or two offenses that have been on your mind in the last X number of minutes to months to years. If you want to just write down a word or two on your piece of paper, just to jog your memory, be concrete, be specific. <coughs> Okay. I hope you've all got one. Something which has offended you. Now, just, I mean, you don't have to answer this, but I'm just kind of curious. When I did this exercise earlier this week, all the offenses I wrote down first time round were ones which had been committed against me. Um, and so I decided then I had to do a second go round and start writing down some of the offenses which I had done to other people. Sometimes we're a little quicker to feel the kind of contempt or anger or rudeness against others, but often we give as good as we get, or even more. As I've been thinking about this uh, this week, I was thinking about offenses, and then I remembered something, an offense which I have nursed for years, an offense that initially was not my fault, but over the last few years, I have cultivated it. I have cultivated resentment. I have lain awake at night angry and self-righteous. I have written so many emails and letters in my head. I have had that conversation face to face with the person where I have told them exactly how they hurt me. And so as I thought about this, I thought, oh, well, guess I'm going to have to do something about this. So I shot off an email this week, quickly, before I could think too hard about it. I just, I thought, okay, I'll deal with this. And the person responded almost instantly, apologetically, kindly, humbly, with such deep sorrow for the rift that there had been in our relationship, asking for forgiveness. And you know what my response was? I got really, really angry. I didn't want their apology. I didn't want to look after them. I wanted them to be shamed and ashamed. I wanted restitution. I wanted them to come up to me and say, I am so sorry, I'm going to do X for you. I'm going to just make this better by publicly announcing how awful I was. I'm going to give you... I wanted payback and I wanted revenge, not reconciliation. I was using words of forgiveness, but my heart was not engaged. I had a kind of full week this week, because I then had to work through this a lot. Actually, it was the week before last. It's taken me a good, good chunk of time, as well as the four years preceding this. But eventually, I landed up sitting with my spiritual director and unpacking my heart. And eventually, I, with help, was able to truly for the first time, see that it really is up to God to deal with this story. And what God was offering me really was an opportunity to be free from it, to not have those sleepless nights anymore, to reach that point of truly leaving this one story, one small story in his hands. 
And I actually think with this story, I've reached that point. There was such an enormous sense of relief when I went, I can be in freedom from that story. And I really think I have, at last, given that one up to God. And it feels fantastic. I am not any longer hungry for justice and recompense. It is such a relief. And so, I would encourage you, as you think about that list of offenses that you wrote down or thought about, to first of all, have a little look inside. My capacity for self-deception is enormously high. I really wanted it all to be their fault. But sometimes it can be helpful to talk things through with your small group leader or to, with a prayer at the back team or to go to counseling or confession or to your spiritual director to find someone you trust to be honest with and check that your responsibility is dealt with in the story. Struggle to look at a bigger picture. I was so inspired by Desmond Tutu's work in South Africa and the way that he worked for truth and reconciliation. And likewise, in Rwanda, the way that truth and reconciliation has worked there, we have to understand as much as we can and strive to reconcile. And reconciliation doesn't mean becoming best friends, but it does mean appropriate grief appropriate apologies given and received. And sometimes it helps to hold a memory or a person in your mind. And, and for me, it's often my aunt. My uh, cousin was murdered by um, some gang members in, in South Africa who were probably uh, doing it as um, a part of an initiation ceremony. And there was a long trial and all the rest of it. And eventually, my aunt begged to be able to meet with these young people. And she did. And she offered them her forgiveness, and they were not repentant at all. But she was able to step into freedom because of what she had said and done with them. And I often think of her, and I think she is just the most amazing role model to me. Because we are not ultimately responsible for the actions of others, and you know all this, even though we're going to sing later on that we want to guard each man's dignity and save each man's pride, there is a way that we want to protect those cells around us as well. But we can offer dialogue. We can hope that they will come back to us, perhaps, with different ways of apologizing. But it's really important that we relinquish our story to God. And having said that, even though we don't look for recompense, it's worth remembering that when you've caused the offense, sometimes offering some kind of reconciliation, some kind of recompense is worth doing. So think sometimes about the ways that we glibly might say, ask for forgiveness. Are there further steps you could take? Now, I want us to turn very briefly to that passage from Nehemiah that Becky read with such confidence and grace. When I was thinking, who wants to read a passage with kind of 40 bizarre names in it? I thought, Becky, Becky wants to read that passage. Um, and she did, and she did it with grace and kindness. So the story, with a bit of the background, is that Nehemiah has gone to Jerusalem and they've rebuilt the wall and now they're calling the people into this place of safety and they ask the people to come and to hear the law spoke read out to them. They come in and they stand up and there's that huge gamut of people standing at the front who don't know who they all are but they were leaders and Levites and priests and people who were helping to get this community gathered together again. It seems like the people weren't really familiar with what was going to be told them 
But the story was read about the law. So that's like Genesis, goodness, you know, the whole Pentateuch, the whole five books maybe were read, I don't know, but they were explained. And the people listened. And then their response was they began to weep and grieve three times, <laughs> three times, <laughs> three times. Uh, they wept and said, it says they were grief struck and wept. And that's a good response. But did you notice the response of the leaders? The leaders said, no, 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 no. This is a time for rejoicing. This is a time for being so glad. This is a reminder that though you sin, God is merciful and forgiving. They didn't say go and fast and put on sackcloth and don't eat and be miserable and whatever. They didn't get mad. They said, come, let's have a feast and be generous. Invite people to the feast who don't have the means to be at the feast themselves. So there is news that there are laws. God is a righteous and good God. And so even as the people heard about what sin does, they also heard about what forgiveness does. I came across this quote from Viktor Frankl this week. Between stimulus and response, there is space. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. That reminder that there's stimulus and response with space between them. And God is offering us that space, an opportunity to choose how we deal with offenses and how we step into freedom with him. As I look back over incarnations for the last four years, and I'm doing a lot of kind of retrospection at the moment, so many moments of delight and joy. But I mentioned earlier, January the 6th last year, and I just want to come back to that for a moment. We were actually away on sabbatical. But that was a moment which ricocheted through American culture and life. And no matter what your particular position on any of the events of that day are, it affected you. And a crisis outside can sometimes become a crisis inside. And so there were hard conversations in the weeks that followed between individuals in our community as people wrestled with their assumptions and viewpoints. And it was hard, but hard work was done. Amy did such a good job of making sure that people were heard and had time and space to listen and give their opinions and to receive forgiveness and to offer forgiveness and to be a community where we can not only tolerate difference, but we can intentionally listen to each other through difference so that we don't cause offense but that we keep communication open. That when we little selves in a body, we're not going to cancerously reject each other, but say, oh gosh, I need to listen more deeply. And then, as they did in the book of Nehemiah, to relax into feasting and joy and delight, to say that we are forgiven and we can forgive each other. We can extend grace and we can receive grace. Because God is in control and God is offering us freedom in each and every situation. The opportunity to step out into a space where we can exhale. And so perhaps as you look at those little things jotted on your piece of paper in this afternoon in a quiet space, as you think about who you are in your family or community or neighborhood or social group or work, can I encourage you to do that work? To offer what you need to offer and to receive what you need to receive. And to choose your direction in the space between stimulus 
and response, offense and freedom. Not forgive and forget, but instead forgive and remember that you have been forgiven as you too, uh, that you have forgiven even as you too have been forgiven and walk into freedom. Let's pray. Maybe you might want to hold your hands out in front of you, maybe close your eyes and just release the things or at least show God what it is that you're working on at the moment. Father, I thank you that you hear and see the things that are in our hearts and minds and bodies. And I pray, Lord, that as each one of us strives to not cause or receive offense, will you help us each to step into the freedom that you offer, the freedom which says that we are forgiven people, the freedom that allows us to extend forgiveness to others. Will you help us day by day to recognize those things? And if you want to, you can turn your hands upside down and kind of imagine releasing things into God's hands. Lord, we trust you. We trust you with our lives. We trust you with our minds and hearts and spirits. And we delight in the fact that you invite us not only to be free ourselves, but to invite others to the feast to enjoy all the goodness that you provide. Amen.